word of God. Thank you that we can gather together and open it, read it, understand it, but live it most of all. Please bless as we gather. Meet with us. It would all be in vain if you're not here, so please, I pray you're welcome. I pray that there's nothing between us and you, that we would just have you speak to our hearts today. Bless those who are gathering this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. All right. Uh, Mr. Bill. <coughs> So, good morning, everyone. Good morning. Um, okay, we're going to do the memory verse, uh, Philippians 4.13. Um, uh, I can do all things through, through Christ, Christ who, who strengthens, strengthens me. me. If we repeat, no, sorry, we'll just repeat that three times, okay? I can do all things through, through Christ, Christ who strengthens me. me. Philippians 4.13. Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. Philippians 4.13 Philippians 4.13 I can do all things through Christ who strengtheneth me. Philippians 4.13 Okay, uh, this is a picture of Oleg. Um, obviously, he's, his wife sent this in yesterday. So um, he still needs a little bit of prayer and but um, we'll, we'll keep him in prayer. Uh, there's a happy birthday. I think it's Kevin. Uh, our Felicia is, is on the list as well, but she's not here, is she? Is that right? And Kevin Master is on Friday. So we're going to sing uh, Kevin happy birthday. I, I don't think there's any O on the mouth, so I'm saving that for that. Um, okay. Happy birthday. Just to remember our missionaries when we're giving, um, it's uh, always good to support these people. They're doing tremendous work uh, on the field, and we, we just need to remember them with our gifts. Uh, things are going on in the church that you can be part of. On Wednesday evening, we have the prayer meeting, um, and the study is in Psalms. Uh, also, we meet on Zoom. Uh, unfortunately, for work reasons, I have to be in by Zoom, but um, uh, for those of you who can make it, it's always good to be here and fellowship, and we're supposed to pray together as a, as, um, a church anyway. Psalm 90. Psalm 90, yeah. So on uh, Fridays, we meet in Cork City in front of the Peace Park from 12.30 to 2 p.m. for soul winning, and there's a good example there of Gavin doing his work. Heard you selling. So the church picnic is Monday, August the 3rd. Uh, that's tomorrow at Garrettstown Beach. Hopefully the weather is going to be good. I heard, heard that it is. Bring a chair, beach stuff, plenty of picnic food, sports, beer, and sunscreen. So, um, and I think that's it. Okay, thank you. <laughs> well done, Bill. Thank you very much. All right, I'm actually going to, I wanted to sing, I hate just singing one song, and we're really trying to figure out how to fit everything into the, the hour, but we're going to sing again. You ready? Please, a blessing. Every one of our musicians, just take whatever I throw at them, they do so well. This one, while she's playing that intro, let me tell you, it's got some Bible words in it. Colossians 2.10 says, 
not good enough for heaven. Honestly, that's true. But God will glorify and make you all the way home to him. So this, these four words throughout in this, uh, come throughout this song is such a good truth. So, Take your Bibles. Go to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. Philippians 4, 13. Stand with me. We're actually going to start in verse 10 and read down to verse 19. Philippians 4, verse 10 to 19. I'm going to talk to you about this amazing promise in the Bible that Paul writes, I can do all things through Christ with strength. Let's see the context and let's learn this this morning. Philippians 4, starting at verse 10. Let's say it together. Begin. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and how, know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Notwithstanding, ye have well done, that ye did communicate with my afflictions. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. For even in Thessalonica, ye sent once and again unto my necessity, not because I desire a gift, but be desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound, I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. You may be seated. Now, this is full of amazing things, great truths 
uh, for the Christian here, focusing on verse 13 first, it says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. That's an amazing promise. Now, you'd think it was the promise that a superhero claims. Sounds like some, something Superman would say, you know, where he can say, oh, I can do all things. But this is not a superhero word, phrase of words. It is spoken by a weak, sickly, nearly blind, bent over, pain-racked old preacher named Paul while sitting in a prison cell in Rome. It was he who said, I can do all things through Christ with strength of me. Now, he was not defeated. He was not ruined. He was not discouraged. But as a Christian, as a, a child of God, um, he was victorious, confident, and excited at the promise of God. Now, a Christian loves normally the promises of God. There are over 300 specifically, specific promises made by God and written down in the Bible to every believer today. But may, and many of them are found in Psalms. That's why we're studying Psalms. Psalms reaches back, talks in the history, but it reaches forward into our lives and gives us promises we can claim. Uh, you find the promises in Proverbs. The, dil the hand of the diligent shall be made rich, the Bible says. Not the hand of the gambler, not the, not, the, not the person who looks for fast money, but the person who works hard. And Throughout the New Testament are promises, but we must be careful with the promises of God. You see, <coughs> uh, a lot, I know a lot of Christians and churches that, that grab at every promise they can find, and they think that they've won the lottery over and over every time they read something positive in the Bible. Now, let me just say this. Every word of the Bible was written to the believer to learn from, but they are not all written for the believer. Every promise cannot be claimed by everyone. There are some promises that usually have terms and conditions, like uh, it's maybe, uh, was it for just the Jews? And there are many promises, like they get the land over in Israel, not the Catholic Church, not the, uh, the, the, the Muslims. They get that land. God gave them that land. So there are promises that particularly go for them. You might have to ask yourself, is this a promise you're reading that is only for a certain period of time? Like, is it only for under the Old Testament? There are some that are for now, and there are some promises that are in the, new king, in the kingdom of heaven that is coming and um, uh, uh, something to look forward to in the new heaven and new earth. And uh, there are some promises that are just for every person, no matter what. And that is, if you call upon the name of the Lord, you shall be saved. That's a promise for everyone, amen? And that God so loved the world, that's a great promise for everyone. Now here, when we get to the promise here in Philippians 4.13, it is specifically, it does have, a ter have terms and conditions. It is specifically for believers who actually are doing the will of God instead of their own will. It basically says that we can do whatever God asks of us, no matter how hard it may be. Paul is writing, he's saying, for a while, nobody was caring for me. Nobody was, was, was even aware of where I was. Nobody came and visited me. Nobody wrote me. Nobody helped me. And I'm sitting here in prison. I've gone from prison to prison. I have um, had nothing but, but uh, hardships for a while. But I can do it because Christ strengthens me. That's what Paul was saying. So when we look at Philippians 4.13 and we come to this great promise, we need to not just say, oh, I can walk on water. That's not what it's saying. All right. So Paul starts in verse 10 with a great attitude. And that's where you begin. 
You're going to have to take the attitude you got and throw it in the bin and say, I need to start with the right attitude. Verse 10, he says, but I, what's the next word? I rejoiced. Now, Paul starts with rejoicing in the Lord. He says, I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at the last, seems like a long time, Paul's saying, but your care of me hath flourished again. It's kind of like a plant that, that maybe you bought for your wife or you bought for your mom or whatever, and you set it on the, the, the kitchen counter there, and it was so beautiful for about a week, and then after that, okay, it died. But then you sort of change the soil and you add more water, like you hadn't been water or whatever, and it flourishes again. It becomes vibrant and alive. And Paul says, your care for me has flourished again, wherein you were also careful. You were worried about me, but you lacked opportunity. He never was blaming them. He wasn't angry at them. He wasn't disappointed with them. He was rejoicing with them. And Paul does that a lot, in, especially in the book of Philippians, look in chapter 3 in verse 1, just one page back. He says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. He loves to get people to rejoice. Look at verse 3. For we are the circumcision, which worship God in the spirit, and we what? We rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. Wow, my joy. You're, you're my joy. I mean, it was great. I'm sitting here. Uh, John comes in, and we're all beating one another, and then in comes Chloe, and I mean, boy, just brightens up the room. My granddaughter just, she's pointing at her curly hair and everything, and it's a joy. That, that, that somebody can have an effect like that on you. So look at verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Paul loved rejoicing. Now, uh, he rejoices a lot in this letter. And the Philippian Christians were some of Paul's closest friends in the ministry. Look back there in verse 1. He says, look at how he talks about them. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, longed for i miss you you're my joy you're the crowning achievement of my life so stand fast in the lord my dearly beloved you know the the philippian church remember when he goes from turkey modern day turkey and heads over into europe he lands and he he meets uh, a woman who's selling purple purple her name is lydia uh he uh, she gets saved he starts preaching gets thrown in prison and he leads the Philippian jailer to the Lord. Paul and Silas are there in that jail. All of a sudden, a little baby church gets started. And that church was precious to him. He loved them. But more importantly, they loved him back. Wasn't it awful when you show kindness to somebody and they don't even notice you? But Paul, when he sp spent his time coming into Europe and telling people the gospel, teaching the Bible, investing his time, showing them there's a, there's a way to live and a way to, way to think and a way to believe that will change your life and change your destination, obviously. And they took to it. They loved him. They cared for him. They prayed for him. And you know what? They didn't mind listening to that old preacher. They didn't mind coming and sitting at his feet and listening to this foreigner teach them the Bible. So that's what it meant to rejoice in the Lord, he says, I'm rejoicing, I'm not in the world anymore. I'm rejoicing, I'm a Christian. Because being a Christian is the best. I, I may not have loads of, of, of people looking after me, but I've got one church that loves me, 
and takes care of me. When, when I'm in need, I know that they're going to do their level best to come and take care of whatever need I got. As Christians, we do that as families. For a while, uh, uh, their care had been missing. Now, I wasn't upset at them. They were, they were listen, they lived <coughs> 800 kilometers away from Rome. So Philippi, can you imagine if you're going to write a letter to somebody, how do you address it? To Paul, the apostle, wherever you are. Because <laughs> he constantly was on the move. So they had, if they did find out where Paul was, Paul probably wasn't going to stay at that place for two, three months before he would move on. And it was so risky to write a letter and send it to such, such, such place where Paul was. And they get it, they go, no, Paul left last month. And then they pass it on to somebody else to take it further. To find Paul, to find him in prison even, was a monumental effort. But that was okay with Paul. <coughs> it was okay that it seemed like nobody cared. Because to Paul, he had a strength that they didn't know about yet. And so that was why he wrote this, these verses here where he talks about, I can do all things. Even though nobody knows what I'm going through, even though nobody is, is, is taking care of me, I know people do. And I know <coughs> if they had the opportunity, they would minister. They would, they would write me. They would contact. They would be with me. But sometimes it's hard. And Paul says, that's okay. And that's a great encouragement to the Christian to go, you know what? I may feel alone, but I'm not. I mean, we're proof of it right here. So Paul's learning, and he's not saying that he has learned it. <coughs> he's saying, I'm learning the hardest lesson. You know what the hardest lesson to learn is? Look at verse 11. <coughs> not that I speak in respect of want. He's not giving them a laundry list. He's not saying, oh, these are all my needs. He says, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be. That's a hard word to say and really mean it. I have learned to be content. The hardest lesson, look at verse 12. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere. And in all things I'm instructed, I'm taught both to be full and to still also be hungry. Both to abound and to suffer needs. The hardest lesson, I don't care how saved you are, is to be at that place where you're content. You know what it means to be content? Listen to this. To be content means to be quiet in heart and in mind. Having your mind at peace, at ease. It is a state of being satisfied with whatever you have right at that moment. That's a way to live. Now, Paul says really cutely, he says, he says, no matter what state I'm in, no matter what condition I'm in, no matter what environment I find myself, no matter what pressure I am under, I am happy and quiet and content, not because of my willpower, not because of, of just my character, but because of Jesus in my life. We forget that we got saved. We not only got uh, uh, got pardoned and forgiven by God, but we got the presence of the Holy Spirit in our life. And when, when He is at, at, at on the throne in our life, why shouldn't we be content? Why shouldn't we be just sitting back going, I'm going to be okay? So Paul says, I'm happy and quiet. He basically says, I can just continue doing the will of God without any demand for changing my circumstances. Stop there. Say it in your mind with me. When he says, I can do all things through Christ which strengthen me, he's saying, 
I can just continue to do the will of God for me without any demand for changing my circumstances. He didn't say, Lord, I'm a preacher, so get me a church. No, God put him in prison. He says, I guess I'll preach here. Say, Lord, I'm in the hospital, and I'm, 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 I may not be out for a while. How do I, get me out of here. And the Lord says, no, that's where I put you. Well, I can do all things through Christ with strength me. You put me here. You expect me to do the will of God. I will do it here and now, no matter if you don't even change my circumstances. Well, I just lost my job. Well, your job's not your calling. Your Christian life is your calling. And if you will, wherever you're at, just decide, I can do what God called me to do, even if he doesn't change my circumstances. Then you understand what Paul was saying when he says, I can do all things through Christ. Listen to Paul's. He has two extremes of circumstances. There in verse 12, he says, I know both how to be abased and how to abound. To be abased, that means to be humbled. That means to have the rug pulled out from under you. That means when you were a kid, some person just came along there and pushed you and knocked you onto your face. Paul says, I know how to be that way. To be brought low, to be humiliated, to not have enough to live on, to actually be in poverty. You would think that a passionate, faithful, consistent follower of Jesus Christ would always have what they needed. You would think that. You'd think, you know, if, if I just read my Bible, if I'm just in church, if I just pray about everything, if I just live godly, if I, if I um, uh, mortify my flesh, then I will be blessed, and you will. But we think blessings are only in the area of material things. You'll be saner, you'll be happier than anybody else, but you may have nothing but needs physically. You may go through a time of just constant affliction. So when, when Paul says, I have been abased, I have been brought very low, he's speaking to those of us who have experienced that as well. Do you know, Paul lost absolutely everything when he got born again. Before he got saved, he was a very powerful ruler in Jerusalem, just like Nicodemus was. He was very uh, uh, important. He probably had a huge pension. He probably had income coming out of the wazoo because he was in religion, and religion made money. And there he was. And when he got saved, he lost it all. Everyone that was his friend turned on him, turned against him. Paul often was rejected by everyone who heard him. Not much applause. As a matter of fact, all he got were stones sometimes. <laughs> often he wore old clothes. He had no money to replace them. Often he traveled hundreds and hundreds of miles by foot with no one stopping to give him a lift. He was in, in nearly constant troubles and afflictions. He spent most of his time at the bottom of society. And then there were times when not only was he based, but he said, I abounded. That means there was time he had money. That was when he had more than enough. When he was in a successful mode. He got to preach at the top, at the pinnacle of Mars Hill to hundreds of the most intelligent, what they thought were intelligent people in Athens at the day. They sat there and they listened to him preach the gospel. That was a great day of success. He started well over 50 churches. He evangelized tens of thousands of people. Paul got answers to prayer like no one since Jesus. He had times when he was surrounded by faithful men like Luke and Timothy and Titus. 
Now, these were rare times, but he experienced them. He knew what it felt like to abound, to be at the top. But instead, I want you to understand, instead of him striving to be a success, I mean, you read of these people like Zuckerberg and Bezos and others in America who have made, I can't imagine why we give so much money to sports stars and to movie stars and to, and to these guys who start up social media. TikTok is worth $50 billion, folks. How do they make a value on something that doesn't exist? It's in, the, it's in your smartphone. It does, but it's worth so much. People strive for success in business. Paul didn't strive to be a success. He didn't strive to be at the bottom. He strove to be content. Wow. Paul's experiences, no matter how extreme, you, 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 you may experience, you say, I don't experience that very much, or I'm, I, I have had a great life. I don't experience the problem. Let me tell you, you don't strive for either one of those things. You strive to do the will of God, and whatever comes, you can do it. Jesus taught his followers to be content. That was, listen, Jesus taught his disciples to be both full and to be hungry still, to have everything and yet have nothing. To not ever complain or be ashamed of their lot in life. Look at Matthew 6. Go back to the left. Find Matthew chapter 6 in verse 19. Paul says, I have been instructed. I wonder who taught Paul. I can imagine Paul reading the gospel of Matthew, wishing he had been there at the feet of Jesus to learn this. But at least he could read it like we can right now. Matthew 6 and verse 19. <clears throat> Lay not up for yourselves. We'd say, store not up for yourselves treasures upon earth where moth and rust doth corrupt and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt and where thieves do not break through nor steal. Why? For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Look at verse 31. Therefore, <clears throat> take no thought, saying, what shall we eat? Well, can I, can't I even ask that? No. <laughs> Don't sit there and worry, he's saying, about what you're going to eat or what you shall drink or wherewithal shall we be clothed. What, what if pennies closes again under the second wave? But seek, uh, for verse 32, for after these things do the Gentiles seek, for your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things, but seek ye first the kingdom of God. That's a kingdom of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost, contentment. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto thee. No wonder Paul could say in 1 Timothy 6, 8, and having food and raiment, therewith to be content. That's what he wanted. He says, I've got some food and i got some clothes. I don't have a house. I don't have a chariot. I don't have a camel. I don't even have a, have a cat. But I'm content. How you doing with that lesson? <laughs> You see, we love lessons. We love teaching until it's to be content. Uh, can we change the channel? Now, Paul has rock-solid confidence when he writes this next verse. Go back to, go back to um, uh, Philippians. When he speaks these words in chapter 4 and verse 13, he is speaking from, from a position of experience. And of confidence, he's not making a guess statement, a hope so. He says this. He says, I can do all things. Thankfully, he doesn't stop there. Because that's the mind of, 
That's, that's, those are the words of these. If, if, if you went to Eason's, if you ever found a Bible in there, you'll find one, two, or three over in the corner that nobody had, has picked up in the last six, six months or six years. But you will find shelves full of I can. I can be beautiful. I can be a success. I can be happy. It's filled with I can, I can, I can. But that's not the words of the Christian. The Christian says, I can do all things through Christ. I can do all things through his strength, by the, by the strength of the Son of God, by the grace of the Son of God. I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. So think about it. When he, says, when he says, I can do all things, let me say this. Is he claiming to be able to walk on water? Well, he says he can do all things, but that's not what he's meaning. Do you think he can fly through the air? Folks, I've got to go to another meeting. i got to fly. <laughs> we say it. He's not saying I can fly. He's not saying I can see through walls. He's not saying I can ace all my exams. You know, it's kind of, uh, you know, I, I do remember claiming that promise. When I was in Bible college, I'd be up all night. I learned how to drink coffee in Bible college, all right? And I learned how to drink it a lot to stay up all night to prepare for the exams. Uh, every one of my teachers thought they were my only teacher, which means they took up all of my study time. When I left class, I went, I'm never going to sleep. And I would claim I can do all things through Christ. And I'm thinking, eh, later on, I'm going, well, that was the wrong promise to, uh, to claim. Because you, you can't claim that and think you're going to just ace all your exams. No. Paul was, was confident that he could continue to preach even though he was in prison. He was confident that he could sing and praise God even though he felt discouraged. Don't doubt that when he and Silas were thrown into the deepest, darkest prison there in Philippi, remember, he's writing to the place where he and Silas were put, their feet were in, in wooden stocks. They had whelps on the back of their back as big as your, as your hand. They were sitting there, and, and there, was, there were vermin and rats and excrement in that cell, and there they were. Don't think that Paul wasn't discouraged. He says, hey, we can do all things through Christ. Let's, let's sing. <laughs> he was able to keep winning souls, even though it was getting harder and harder in his day. <laughs> it, 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 we were out on Friday and, and talking to people, and I got to talk to some people. Weston, I, I, I guess Weston's got that. He should, I don't know, he should make a poster of his face, and I would just, just point to him and say, come talk to me because I know him. <laughs> He's just able to talk to everybody. But boy, getting, getting someone to say, you know, you're right. I need to get saved. is getting harder and harder, isn't it? But Paul says, I'm going to keep going. Why? Why was he able to do all that? Because go to 2 Timothy 2.9. Just to the right, a few books, 2 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 9. Why would he continue to preach even though he was in prison? Because the word of God is not bound by prison walls. 2 Timothy 2.9. Wherein I suffer trouble as an evildoer. I'm treated like an evildoer, even under bonds. I've been put in chains, but the word of God is not bound. Isn't that wonderful? Go to, go to um, uh, Philippians 4.22. I want to show you something really precious. Um, remember, 
Paul would tell you it was getting harder and harder to win people to Christ, but that didn't stop him from continually to give the gospel out to everyone he met. Because look at verse 22, there in Philippians 4, 22. All the saints salute you. All the other Christians here, he's in prison, remember. He says, all the saints salute you chiefly. They that are of Caesar's household. I don't know how it happened. He's been brought out. He's already been able to do some preliminary court cases uh, and presentations. And Caesar's only exte own extended family and servants and workers heard him and all of a sudden started getting saved. He said, by the way, some of Caesar's household are now Christians. Wow. So Paul, as discouraged as, as he may have been and as discouraged as you and I are, we've got to remember, I can keep preaching. I can keep doing the will of God because he strengthens me and he brings forth the fruit. Go to Acts 16. Acts 16. 1622. <clears throat> now this is what Paul usually experienced, the multitude. <clears throat> Acts 16.22. The multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates, this is Paul and Silas, and the magistrates rent off their clothes and commanded to beat them. When they had laid many stripes upon them, they cast them into prison, charging the jailer to keep them safely, who, having received such a charge, thrust them, threw them into the inner prison, and made their feet fast in stocks. And at midnight, Paul and Silas prayed and sang praises unto God, and the prisoners heard them. I'm just trying to encourage you that if you just, if you just take it, you know, I, we can still sing. You say, I came into church today, and I just want to die. I didn't want to come to church. I didn't want to open the Bible. I didn't, definitely didn't want to sing, but I did anyway. Let me tell you, the world hears it. The law sees it, and your faithfulness does more to turn this world upside down than all the money, all the success ever could. Look at what it says. The prisoners heard them, verse 26, and suddenly there was a great earthquake, so the foundations of the prison were shaken, and immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bands were loosed, and the keeper of the prison awakened out of his sleep, and seeing the prison doors open, he thought they were all going to attack him, so he drew out his sword and would have killed himself, supposing that the prisoners had been fled. But Paul cried with a loud voice, saying, Woohoo! Sorry. <laughs> it worked. Our singing worked. And he says, Guy, he cried with a loud voice, Do thyself no harm. And when he called for a light, he sprang in, came into them, and uh, trembling, and fell down before Paul and Silas, and brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? Can you imagine Paul smiling? Going, it just works. I can do all things through Christ. So, and then one more, Acts 27, 20. Acts 27. Acts 27, 20. <clears throat> I just, you, you wonder why is Paul pretty predominant in the New Testament? Because God's trying to show what he can do with just a, a, a open vessel, they saw it, or uh, a, a simple uh, life that is to totally yielded to God. Acts 27 and verse 20. He's on a boat. The boat's going to sink. And when neither sun nor stars in many days appeared and no small tempest lay on us, all hope that we should be saved was then taken away. So is it a good day or a bad day? It's a bad day to be alive, okay? Verse 21. But after long abstinence, when everybody else is crying and depressed and thinking about jumping over ship, 
Paul stood forth in the midst of them and said, Sirs, you should have hearkened unto me. I told you not to take this trip and have not loosed from Crete and to have gained this harm and loss. And now I exhort you to be of, <gasps> be like me. For there shall be no loss of any man's life among you but the ship, but of the ship. The ship's going to be smashed. For there stood by me this night the angel of God, whose I am and whom I serve, saying, Fear not, Paul. Thou must be brought before Caesar, and lo, God hath given thee all them that say with thee, Wherefore, sirs, be of good cheer. Why? For I believe God that it shall be even as it was told me. So let me tell you, Paul had rock-solid confidence that if I just faithfully stay encouraged, if I just faithfully give an example of a Christian serving God, no matter my circumstances, even if God never changes my circumstances, I just stay faithful. God uh, enables me. God enables me to keep going. When I, listen, to do what a Christian does is impossible. I'm going to talk about this next week. To do what we do is impossible. To stay joyful when we want to die. To sing when we want to crawl under the chair. To go against our, our old nature. To live the victorious Christian life is impossible. Except for Christ living through us. Except for this, this great promise that I can do all things through Christ. So, Paul is grateful. Back there in, in, in Philippians 4. I'll finish these thoughts up, and next week we'll develop them a little bit more. But Philippians 4 and verse 14, Paul, whew, Paul's grateful, thankful. He just, he just, I want you to get a picture of him just dancing in that prison cell. Chapter 4, verse 10, but I, uh, sorry, verse, verse 14. Notwithstanding, ye have well done that ye did communicate with my affliction. Now ye Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when it first came to Europe there, when I departed from Macedonia, no church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving, but ye only. So out of all the churches he started, how many of them kept in touch with him and trying to encourage him, keep him going? How many? One. Verse 16, for even in Thessalonica, when it was pretty lowest time of my life, I was run out of that town. Even in Thessalonica, ye, once, ye sent once and again unto my necessity. Not because I desire a gift. I'm not looking for anything from you. But I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all now. And I abound. I am full. Having received of Epaphroditus. That was the messenger that they sent with, with a gift, with a small package maybe. Having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. Paul was grateful for those Christians in Philippi. Not because they sent him a lot of money. Not because he sent him a lot of, of clothes, but simply because they cared enough to do something. I want to remind you, when you were in prison, up until very recently, when you were in prison, you had nothing unless someone came and brought you another change of clothes. You had nothing unless somebody came and brought you some food. If the prison supplied you food, you never ate it. So if, you didn't, if, if, if somebody didn't bring you fresh water, if somebody didn't bring you a fresh uh, change of clothes, or if somebody, a uh, family member, whatever, didn't bring you um, uh, uh, anything, you were going to die in prison. 
And it's like that in many prisons around the world today. And even in hospitals, I've learned that if you have to go to the hospital, you're not going to get fed. The doctor's not going to take care of you unless the family brings money and pays them regularly and keeps paying them and brings food to that patient to the hospital. Let me tell you, outside of the Western world, it is still hard. Just imagine Paul dancing and smiling and laughing and praising God at a small box that had just arrived from the Philippians with a few coins in it, with maybe an, 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 another tunic, uh, just something, maybe a fresh pair of underwear. I mean, when I was a kid, the worst thing to get, what was the worst thing you got from your grandmother at, at Christmas? Remember? Underwear. Why would she do that? That was so embarrassing. And in our home, at Christmas, you always had to unwrap. Everybody's eyes were on. Everybody, one at a time. Okay, Craig, you open your box. Oh, this is from grandmother. Open it up. Underwear, take your next. Oh, my goodness, embarrassed, but I know how to be abased. But Paul's dancing had a fresh pair of underwear. Paul's dancing had, had just a few coins that would allow him to buy some, some paper and a pen so he could write another letter. He's dancing and he's saying, I'm rich, I'm full, I've been blessed. Why? Because he was cream on the top. He was already content. And this was a blessing to him. You say, so-and-so, uh, you know, uh, we went to coffee and we had, a, we had some fellowship, but he didn't treat me. Do you know, if you were content and somebody invites you to coffee and didn't pay for your coffee, you're a blessed person. I mean, that's a poor example, but let me tell you, it is so important for us when somebody does a little act of kindness to you, if you were content, you'd just be, thank you so much, that was a blessing. That was a blessing. Paul was thankful. That's what kindness will do for somebody. They did well, he says, when they communicated with affliction. Now, communication you, you ever talk to somebody and they didn't talk the same language? Hmm? You ever done that? I mean, I can imagine David when Hannah gets angry and she goes into Spanish and you go, I don't understand a word she's saying. I don't want to know what she's saying. Amen. But when, when you communicate means they both understand each other. And Paul's saying, you understood what I was going through. And you met me at my need. That's what Jesus did. When somebody was there by the, by, the, by the roadside and they were lame, he reached down and he touched them at their need. He didn't go, well, what'd you do to deserve that? He was kind. He met them at their need. You know, a lot of people hear about problems. People hear about others who are going through a hard time and then they go on and they talk about it, but they never do anything about it. This church was unusual. They, no other church was doing anything for Paul. They were going to be out of the ordinary. And I, folks, we only have nine missionaries, eight missionaries that we support. But let me tell you, I want to be an unusual church that cares about the gospel giving elsewhere and cares about those who go because fewer and fewer are going. I want to be unusual. I don't want to have a church where we have pews and we have organs. I love all that. I love the sound. I love the atmosphere. But let me tell you, I would rather sit on the floor if we could take care of missionaries, if we could... Do something that is unusual and stand out and be faithful to the call of God. They were unusual. They were faithful. They were consistent. Paul says, you sent once and again into my need. And the only reason why it's been a break where I haven't heard from you and where something hasn't come from you was because you lacked opportunity. There was no way for you to even know where I was. They were faithful. Wouldn't it be good if at the end of our life, Jesus said, here comes a faithful church. They had... They had four walls, they had uncomfortable chairs, they had long-winded preaching, but they were faithful. 
I want to have that testimony. And they were fruitful. They were fruitful. They had grown to where they were supplying the needs of others. Paul didn't want anything from them. He wrote them because they were giving, they were proof that they were maturing. Let me, let me just, uh, it's no good, uh, Nita bought a, uh, uh, a cherry tree. You know what that cherry tree's done in the last two years that we've had it? Nothing. At, at about first week of April, some beautiful flowers appeared, and about a week later, they were gone. Now, we didn't buy a cherry tree to look pretty. We want cherries, amen? And God didn't save you so that you just look pretty. He'd like you to have fruit. And the greatest proof of fruit is when a selfish, self-centered creature, like you and I are, begins to give and bless and find out about needs and meet those needs. And Paul says, I just, I can't believe all that fruit that's just oozing off of your branches. You are fruitful. Remember Psalm 1? Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. Remember that? Nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be what? Like a tree planted by the rivers of water, which bringeth forth his fruit in his season. They were fruitful. The, the sign of maturity is not that you came to church today. The sign of maturity is not that you can even memorize the Bible. The sign of maturity is not that you do all these things that we think are normal Christians. The sign of maturity is where you sacrifice what, want, what you wanted for yourself and you gave it to someone else. They were fruitful. And Paul says, because of this little gift, I am rich. I believe he invented the Irish jig that day. I believe he danced in that cell and he thought he was in a palace. He says, I'm full. <laughs> like I just ate the biggest meal. It's just like I had the best Christmas ever. Their kindness, and Paul goes on and he says, it's like a sacrifice. He knew that they couldn't afford to give. He knew how hard it was, it must have been, for that messenger to travel 800 kilometers to try to find Paul and to give him that letter and to give that money to him. Their kindness, their time, their prayers, he knew were at, were at great effort and great cost to them. Um, in the Old Testament, a sacrifice, they would take their best lamb, their best ox, their best um, uh, animal. They would taste their, their best crops, their best wheat, and to give it to God did not mean you make this plate of food and expect God to eat it. No, they came and they burnt it up. But there's something wonderful about it. They didn't just burn it at high temperatures. They burnt it, they cooked it, and they burnt it up slowly so that anybody within hundreds of feet of that tabernacle, only the temple, they go, mm -hmm. it would smell like the best steak you've ever smelled. And you and I would go, oh, who's going to eat that steak? Nobody. It's just being burnt up to God. We're giving just a little bit. God's not asking him to give it all. He says, just give something that is priceless to you, something that's most important to you. Give it and then give it to God and smell it and realize God smells that gift. And he says there, look at it, verse 18. I have all and abound. I'm full, having received of Epaphroditus. The things which were sent from you, they are an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable and well-pleasing to God. Smell wonderful. 
Now, there's a promised payback. Look at verse 19. But my God. Now, remember, they've supplied his need. He's still in prison, isn't he? And he will die in prison. His circumstances don't ever change, as far as I know, after the book of Philippians. Maybe I'm wrong. All I know is he's in prison, he's in Rome, he's meeting Caesar. Caesar, Caesar doesn't like him, Caesar has his head cut off. Here's Paul, and he says this, you've met my need today. Verse 19, my God shall supply all your need now according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Paul makes a great promise to those Christians. He says, you know, you, 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 you took care of me, I didn't deserve it. You are better than I deserve. Thank you. Let me tell you this. God's going to take care of you. You see, because they had worked so hard to supply his needs, he knew that he knew that he knew God would take care of them. When was the last time you say, God, I need you to help me? And I guarantee the Lord saying, when did you help somebody else? I don't mind helping you, Craig. But you've been pretty self-centered for a long time. You've been thinking of yourself for a while. And here, all of a sudden, you want me to take care of you? when you've had loads of opportunities to be a blessing to someone else. But if Craig Ledbetter tries to meet somebody else's needs and tries to just think of others and tries to live the Christian life where I just do it because it's right to do, I serve, I, I let people walk all over me sometimes. And I just do that and I'm abased. All of a sudden, God will turn around and exalt. And he will honor you and take care of you. Um, hey, if you're a selfish, self-centered Scrooge and never think of to help out other people, you never tithe, you never give to missionaries, you just hold on to all your money and use up all your time on yourself. I mean, it's the greatest pain for you to get out to church because, oh, after two hours, I, don't even, I could do other things. Well, when it comes time that you're having a hard time, and you will, don't expect God to rush to your side and carry you because you're on your own. But if you have loved unlovely people, if you have served them and let them walk over you, if you have suffered while doing the right things, if you have put others ahead of yourself and your own family, if you have given when it was hard and uncomfortable to do so, when you have faithfully tithed and given to missionaries, if you have stood up and given out gospel tracts and testified to of people's need to repent, that is when you can trust God will take good care of your needs when you're in trouble. That is when you can claim verse 19. See, you claim verse 13 to be faithful, and then you claim verse 19 because you've been faithful. You reap what you sow. Do you know that? Now, we use that when we say, you're going to reap what you sow, meaning in a bad way. You know, you live for the world, you're going to reap. But did you know if you give, what does Jesus say? It will be given back to you, pressed down, shaken together, running over. You know, if you humble yourself, 1 Peter says, God will exalt you. You will reap what you sow. How about if you forgive, then you will be forgiven. A lot of people in this room right now, I don't know you, don't think I'm talking about you. Actually, I am. But I don't know you particularly. That you have some of the, some of the hardest times with other people simply because you haven't forgiven them. Simply because in the back of your mind, there are loads of people you hold a grudge against and you cannot enjoy life until you start forgiving. And then you find out, <gasps> now God's forgiving me. There's a promise payback. God will supply all your needs. What could God be asking of you? Probably to endure hardness. 
That's our verse last, last month. He's probably asking you to humble yourself and admit wrongs. It's called repentance. Not a, fan, not a fun word. What could God be asking of you? Probably to surrender to God's will for your life. And I mean for the rest of your life. There are people in this church who I know God's working on your heart and calling to do something. And it may be the rest of your life you'll do it. And you may not have applause. You may not have success. But you're going to do it. Will you surrender? What is God possibly asking you to do? Go soul winning. Go and go and go until somebody gets saved and starts living for God. I was there on Friday with uh, Weston and Tony and John and, and Gavin. You know what Weston kept saying? Everybody you talk to, and then they'd say, oh, that was nice, uh, Weston. And they'd go off. He'd say, I just want one. I just want one. I just, I just want to see somebody get saved today. Will you keep going until somebody does? What could God be asking of you? I asked I ask God that a lot. I say, God, what do you want me to do? What, 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 what needs to change? What, where am I, I hard-headed? Where am I not seeing something? Here's the invitation. Do you feel full or empty? How do you, listen, that's, that's, that's for you to examine. You go, am I full? Am I happy or am I just empty? I just, there's just nothing in my life. Spiritually, I just am empty. Well, I want to tell you, there's some promises in that book you need to learn. Philippians 4.13 is one of the top ten promises. 1 Corinthians 10.13 was another one. Uh, uh, there's no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. God is faithful, who will not tempt you above that which you're able. Let me tell you, there are promises in that book you need to learn. Because uh, if, if, how, can you, how can you enjoy the promises of God if you don't know them? And prove them to be true. God says in, in Malachi 3, he says, prove me, prove and my promise is not true that if you put me first and if you tithe and you, you, you don't let money be your God, you let me be your God, I will open the windows of heaven. Prove, the, prove those promises to be true. And the most important promise is found in Romans 10, 13. You know what it says? For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Are you saved? I mean, what a great promise. You mean that, that anybody, anybody. Yeah, but what if, it doesn't matter what if. What if I did, it doesn't matter what you've done. Jesus paid it all. All Jesus has to do is repent, look at your life and see it stinks and say, God, I want a new life and believe the gospel. Stand with me, would you? And let's bow in prayer. Father, how do I do I do service to this great verse, these verses here. God, just help us to have the right view on, on the promises of God, that we need the promises of God. They give us not only hope, but they give us rock-solid confidence to just keep going. Lord, I know in this, listen, this is a crazy day of all times in history. Everything is changing. We can't, we can't, we can't set a course. We don't know what to do. We don't know how to do. We don't know how to stay uh, working. We don't know uh, how to, how to um, make plans. So we're just going to have to take your word like it is, that we can do whatever you ask us to do. No matter how much this world changes, we're going to stay the course. We're going to be faithful. We're going to do it because you are faithful, because you are going to bring the increase. You're going to bless. Lord, I pray you encourage some Christians today to stay the course, to stay faithful. 
and to, to believe that in spite of the, uh, their experiences, that's the thing. They've been humbled. They've been humiliated. They failed, at least in their eyes. But that's okay. Paul was abased. He was also a time of success, Lord. But that didn't matter. What mattered was he's just going to keep doing what you called him to do. Lord, that's why I think you put him on the page of much of the New Testament. He exposed his life because he believed that verse. And I think in this room, if every Christian believed that scripture, we don't have to have 10,000 people to affect our generation. We just need these people who will be faithful. And we can overturn this world like no rioters ever could. We could reach this generation with the gospel. We could save our families. We could save the marriages. Lord, please help us. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, why not now? I love this hymn. While we pray and while we plead, while you see your soul's deep need, while your father calls you home, will you not, my brother, come? <clears throat> While we pray and while we plead, while you see your soul's deep need, while your Father calls you home, will you not, my brother, come? Why not now? Why not now? Why not come to Jesus now? Why not now? Why not now? Why not come to Jesus now? In the world you fail to find Aught of peace for troubled mind Come to Christ on Him believe Peace and joy you shall receive Why not now? come to Jesus now. Why not now? Why not now? Why not come to Jesus now? God bless you. Have a great day. See you next week. Amen.